Welcome to the sermon podcast of Resurrection Community Church in Virginia Beach. We seek to connect people to God and one another through His Word, and hope this sermon brings you closer to God. Um, now let's turn our attention to God's Word. We'll be hearing God's Word this morning from 1 Peter chapter 2. Uh, we'll be reading verses 1 through 12. Uh, so as we continue in 1 Peter, I'll, uh, back on the back table, if you, uh, there are a few more of those 1 Peter scripture journals. You're welcome to pick one of those up. They just have the text of the Bible, uh, blank pages next to it that you can write some notes. You can take one of those. Uh, you can take it home with you. Uh, you can use it to follow along during the service. You can use it at home uh, to read First and Second Peter, uh, make notes for yourself, see what God is showing you through that. Uh, but today, as we listen to 1 Peter chapter 2, um, I want you to, to think about what, what's the big idea here? What is the main thing that Peter is offering us? What can we really hang our hat on? What can we grab onto to do the things that he's calling us to do? Because he's going to start off telling us to put away malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander. He's giving us some commands, some ways to behave. But how? How does that work and why? Why do we even want to do those things? What is Peter really driving at here. So let's now listen to God's word from 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this word that was written down by your servant Peter so long ago. Uh, to encourage your church back then, your people back then. We pray that just as this was your word for your people 2,000 years ago, this would be your word for, your, for us today, that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would take this word and sink it deep into us, that it would not merely be information for our heads, but transformation for our hearts, changing the way that we think, the way that we feel, the way that we live. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, I'm going to take a chance here on, on, on dating myself, uh, and I'm, I'm becoming more and more aware of my age. But so here's my question for you. The chances on dating myself, it's not the other chance that I'm taking. Do you know who the best president in all of U.S. history is? The best president. Yes. Yes. And it's the, I'm not taking a political chance here. I'm taking a, a, an age chance here. 
Anybody know who the best president in all of U.S. history is? It's Jed Bartlett. Jed Bartlett from the West Wing. See, I knew it. I knew I was, gonna, I was dating myself here. The West Wing was a fantastic TV show in the, in the late 90s, early 2000s. And, and by your faces, I'm seeing that more of you need to go and watch the West Wing. Um, so the West Wing was a fantastic TV show, and it followed, it followed a political administration uh, for seven years through two, two full terms of, of politics. And Jed Bartlett was the president in the West Wing. And the thing about Jed Bartlett is, I mean, was he the best president in U.S. history? Somebody, lots of people could argue about that, of course. But Jed Bartlett was genuinely a good guy. Now, if you, if you watch the show, if you're familiar with it, depending on your political perspectives, you may say, I don't really agree with all of his policies. I mean, he's, he was a Democrat through and through, and he did his administration pursued Democratic policies. So you might disagree with his policies, but it's hard to argue with the fact that he was genuinely a good guy. And when he did things wrong, he genuinely admitted them, and he genuinely cared for his staff. It's about the internal workings of his staff. So that's why I say Jed Bartlett was the best president in U.S. history, helped by the fact that he's fictional. Um, but what does, what does Jed Bartlett have to do with 1 Peter chapter 2? One of the things we see in 1 Peter chapter 2, we see the things that Peter is telling us not to do. Put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. What do those things have in common? What is it about those things that he's telling us to put away? About malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander. These are things that destroy communities of people. These are things that are, that are interpersonal things. These are relational things, malice, deceit, hypocrisy. They destroy communities of people. And these are also things that when I talk about political leadership and who can unite a group of people together, and I say hypocrisy and envy and, slant, envy and slander, you think that actually probably describes our political leaders more than doesn't describe our political leaders. And so this is where we find ourselves that when we, we see that we, we have this great longing for leadership. We have this great longing to be united. We want to be on a team with the right leader. And so one of, one of the challenges in our actual like non-TV politics is that we so much want that unity and that team that we set aside, we, 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 we look at our people on our team, we're like, they've got to be good. And the people on the other team, like they've got to be bad. And, and it becomes a problem because we are hit with this reality of sin that all of our leaders fall into these traps. And then when we look closer, we realize that all of we ourselves fall into these traps too. We go from our political leaders in whom they're obvious to our church leaders in who sometimes cover them up, but sometimes then fall into them as well. And then we look all the way down to ourselves like, yeah, I'm caught up in that envy and slander thing as well. So we have this, this vision, this idea of being good people united together. Everybody's going to do great together. We're going to follow our leaders, but it all falls apart because of sin. So what is it that we're, we're, we're striving for this, but we can't get it? What is Peter offering us instead as he tells us to put away these relationship killers, these community killers, 
says, put that away. Don't be like that anymore. What does he offer us instead? He offers us instead the only leader that can truly unite us. The only leader that can truly bring lasting unity and peace and justice and righteousness. And his point is to say Jesus is that only leader. But the thing that's unique about Jesus here is that he's kind of, he's not seen that way. And Peter's talking about that. He's like, look, he's the one who was rejected. That's what he said in verse four. As you come to him, Jesus, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious. Again, verse seven, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. What Peter's saying to us is if you want that true unity, if you want that leader who will lead you as a united group, as a united people, as a united community, you need to not look in the way that the world looks. The world naturally looks for strength and power and charisma and all these things. And Peter's saying, hey, Jesus, he got pushed away. He got rejected because he did not obviously display those things. But he has what you truly need because he is the one who is precious in God's sight, in the sight of God, chosen and precious. He has become the cornerstone. Jesus is the foundation. Jesus is the only leader that can bring us to true peace and unity. So what do we do with that? What do we do? What does that mean? So, so we, okay, great. So Jesus is the only one. Okay, so then what is, what is it, what do we do? Look at verse four. As you come to him, as you come to him. Look back at verse two. Like newborn infants, Long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. What do we need to do? We need to come to Jesus like children. We need to come to Jesus like children and drink from him and drink the good spiritual milk that he gives us. The obedience to God that doesn't make sense in the eyes of the world, that we tend to, that we think so easily, even when we have good goals, you know, we say that, well, but we've got to make some compromises along the way. That to be always sacrificial and serving is just not really realistic. Sometimes we've got to, we've got to use the weapons of the world against it, right? We, 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 we convince ourselves of all of these things. And Jesus is saying, no, come to me like children, like pure and innocent children. Right? Children are pure and innocent. Right? Yeah, I got, that, that got a reaction. But, um, but children do tend to be very trusting and do tend to be very uh, obedient in, in a sense, in the sense of if you say this is the right thing to do, yeah, I'm going to do it. They don't tend to be cynical. They don't tend to try to justify other things. They have, actually do have a sense of right and wrong. And they say, okay, I'm going to do what's right just because you, you told me to, Mom. You told me to, Dad. And I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you to call me in the right way and give me the right food. So how then, if, we, if the goal is for us to be like children coming to Jesus, to come to him in love and trust and obey him, and that plays out as looking like putting away malice and deceit and hypocrisy and slander. And down in verse 11, putting away the passions of the flesh, our own pleasures and desires, putting all those things away, but instead 
following the path of Jesus as his children. How can we get there? What, what else does Peter tell us here to, to help us, to motivate us, to explain how Jesus is the only true leader for us? There's three P's that he offers here that we'll look at fairly briefly. First, that Jesus makes us a people. Second, that Jesus sets us in place. And third, that Jesus gives us a purpose. It's been a while, and I need to get back to my, I need to get back to my same letters. I've been, I've been here, there, and everywhere. So we've got a people, we've got a place, and we've got a purpose. First, the overwhelming thing that Jesus, when Jesus says he's the, when, when Peter says that Jesus is the only leader that can really bring us to true unity and what we want, his primary thing that he's defining there is how Jesus has made us a people. Jesus, and this is, this is fascinating, and it would take a lot longer than we have to really get into it. But what's fascinating here is to think about who Peter is writing to. Because Peter is writing, we think, as best we can tell, he seems to be writing primarily to Gentiles. And yet, as he is writing primarily to Gentiles spread out through some of the cities in Asia, probably with some Jewish people, Jewish Christians mixed into them as well, he is pulling in a lot of references from the Old Testament. And it's kind of surprising, to be honest. Like he's going back to all these things, both literal quotes there that he is quoting from the Psalms. He is quoting from Isaiah about the cornerstone and the stone that the builders rejected. But he's also making allusions to other things. When he says, uh, when he says in verse 5 that you are to be a holy priesthood, and again down in verse 9 that you are a royal priesthood, a people for his own possession, he's going back to Exodus to the people of Israel that God called out of Egypt and took them up to Mount Sinai and said, you are going to be my people. You are people for my own possession. God says that multiple times to the people of Israel. He calls them a nation of priests, a kingdom of priests. So he says all these things. Peter's pulling in all these things that God has said in the Old Testament about the people of Israel. And he's saying, hey, Gentiles, you're all part of this. We're all part of this together now as one new people. He's not, just, he's not just kind of tacking them on. He's saying, you are all together one new people. It says in verse 10, once you were not a people. Whoever's hearing this from Peter, whether they were actually Jewish, part of God's people, or whether they were Gentile, saying, you know what, all that went away and has become something new that God has formed a new people together. Back in, in the, the book of Hosea, the, uh, God said through the prophet Hosea, he's like, you people, Israel, you're not my people anymore. You've rejected me. And so Peter can kind of be speaking to both groups, say, look, you had rejected me. Gentiles, you never knew me, but now you are coming back to me and you are a new people. What's the defining characteristic of this new people? It's about those who believe in Jesus. Verse 7, the honor is for you who believe. Verse 6, whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. You, verse 8, verse 9, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. A chosen race. Isn't that ironic that he would say it that way? That we think we see so much in our world, we get so locked up on, on group and tribal divisions. And yet, and sometimes we get locked up on those and embrace those. Sometimes we look at those as purely negative. And what Peter's saying is like, look, 
Here is the new tribe, but not based on ethnicity, not based on geography, not based on where you were born or who you were born to, but instead based on belief that all who believe in Jesus become a new tribe, a new people with all the good that we enjoy about that. And all the good of the past, all that history of God's people is all coming in to this new people, this new identity. So what does this mean for us then? What does it mean that Jesus makes us a people? Well, one is that that's what we want, right? We want to know who our people are. We want to know who is going to get us. We want to know who is going to understand us. How can we find that? We only find that through unity with Jesus. And notice that I didn't say that we only find that with other Christians. Because if I said that, you'd say, mm, not feeling that so much, right? Just because somebody else says that they're a Christian doesn't mean that we're automatically going to see eye to eye on everything. And if we're looking to connect with other people through old markers of tribal identity or contemporary markers of tribal identity, even if we're both Christians, we're not going to sync up. But if we find our unity as a people in Jesus, then all those other things can go underneath that. You say, well, yes, I may disagree about everything else with this person that, that the world says should drive us apart, but because of Jesus, we are united together and we call one another brother and sister. And I know who my people are formed by unity with Jesus because I have put my faith in Jesus and this person over here has put his faith in Jesus. And so together we are brothers and we are united by far more than, than the things that would seem to divide us. So Jesus makes us a people. Secondly, Jesus sets us in a place. He just sets, and now some of you, some of you who are paying attention may have been wondering what's in the mystery bag. And, and I have something in the mystery bag. Some of you aren't going to care. Some of you are going to be, you know what's in the mystery bag? It's Legos. Come on, man. You know that. It's Legos. I've got a box of Legos in the mystery bag. Why Legos? What did, Jesus, what did Peter say about, about us? You, verse 5, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house. What are we being built up? We're like a big thing of Legos. But you know what's great about Legos? Now, I know different people are different. When I built Legos, when I was a child, I followed the directions. And I followed the directions precisely. And I built the sets that I was told to build. Now, other people, they get the directions and then they throw them away. And they just build whatever they want. So everybody's different. But what's fascinating is to imagine, you know, it, it maybe if, if, if the West Wing didn't do it, maybe the Lego movie will do it. If you haven't seen the Lego movie, you should. Because in the Lego movie, in the Lego movie, the people who follow the directions, much to my dismay, they're the bad guys. In the Lego movies, to follow the directions is to make everybody the same, and there's nothing interesting about it. And it's like an enforced, really bad sameness. But in the Lego movie, the master builders are the ones that can see the Legos and they can form them into new creations. They look at this box and they say, oh yeah, it's beautiful. It's a ship, it's a plane, it's weapons, it's whatever you need. It's a double-decker bunk bed, you know, whatever. No, double-decker couch, that's what it is. It's a double-decker couch. It's whatever, whatever you need it to be. And when we see here that Peter is saying 
that Jesus is building us into a building of living stones. What I'm imagining is Jesus there as the master builder that says, I've got all these Legos, but I'm going to arrange them in a way that nobody else could imagine. And so you may find, feel like today that you're just kind of an odd Lego in the box. You know, maybe you're this guy with a mismatched helmet and face. Maybe you've got, you got a tall pillar here. That should be good for, for something, but you're not sure what. You're not sure what your place is. But Peter is telling you that Jesus has a place for you. And he's putting you in his place. And he is building you together with the other people of his community. Because what, where do we get this true unity from? The good leader who puts everybody in the place where they are needed. And we can't always figure that out. We don't know what God is up to, but we can trust that we're being built up, not just as a creative Lego creation, but a Lego creation that is alive, that really does come to life and really grows and changes. And so if you're not sure where you fit, you can believe this morning that God has a place for you and that God is using you. So what does it look like to find that? What does it look like to put yourself in the place that God has for you? One is to simply seek to be obedient to him. What happens when we put away malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander? What happens when we abstain from the passions of the flesh? We're putting away trying to figure it out. We're putting away trying to do it in the ways that make sense to us. Instead, we're saying, Jesus, I'm going to do the way that you want me to do. I'm going to come to you and worship. It doesn't make sense how that works. It doesn't make sense what difference it makes to be here right now on Sunday morning. But it makes a difference. It is part of the way that God is building us up, that God is building his people up. What difference does it make to get down on my knees and say words to a God who I cannot see? I don't know. But it does make a difference because it's doing it his way. What difference does it make to open up the book that was written down so long ago that seems so distant sometimes? But it makes a difference because God himself speaks through it and speaks to us and shows us what to do, shows us what is true, what is right. So we do the things that God has commanded us to do even we don't understand them. When there's an opportunity to serve, we say, hey, I can take that. Like Alejandro was saying about the Good News Club, what difference does it make to go and share the gospel with these kids. I don't know. I don't know where they're going to come back next week. I don't know where they're going to be next year. But I know that God is using it to build up his church, his family. Because part of this finding a place is not just where do I want to be. It's the, the, the third P is that Jesus gives us a purpose. Because if we look closely here in 1 Peter chapter 2, we see the purpose of Jesus. Look at verse 9 again. I already read through a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. What are we here to do? To proclaim God's glory, to say what he has done. We say it to one another. We say it to everybody we meet, that more people may be built into this living house of stone. In the spiritual house, Back up at verse 5, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. What is our purpose? Our purpose is to come to God in worship. Our purpose is to bring others to God in faith and in worship. 
to tell others what God has done so that together we may not know exactly where our place is in the spiritual house, but we know what the purpose of this house is. That we are all moving together with the common purpose of bringing worship and praise to God and drawing more people in to give worship and praise to God. To tell the story of what God has done in your life. To say, I was going my own way, but God turned me around. And I have done a lot of things wrong, but God has forgiven my sin. And so in that, I can take hold of verse 6. Whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. No matter what I have done wrong, no matter how far I have fallen short, no matter how many times I have fallen, I can stand up again because I believe in Jesus. And Jesus has made my work acceptable to God. And all that I do imperfectly for him, he makes it an acceptable and perfect sacrifice. And I can tell other people that. And I can offer it to them with hope. So what? So where do we go? Verse 12. That when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. That as we conduct ourselves in God's way, as we come to him as obedient children, seeking that pure spiritual milk, the purpose is that he gets all the glory. That even those who are bothered by us, even those who don't like the righteous acts that we've engaged in, that they will say, you know what? It really was the right thing to do. It really was obedient. And the day of visitation is when Jesus himself will return and receive all the glory for himself. That is where we are going. We're all working together, not just as a static house, but we're a living house. You might say we're one of those crew teams with all the oars going together, going down the river. Everybody in step, not everybody the same, but everybody paddling in the same direction towards the glory of God, the drawing of more people into faith, the forgiveness of sins being offered, the shame being taken away, the sacrifice for one another now, not the, not the old sacrifices of ritual, but the sacrifice of service to one another to lift up one another up and build one another up as we move towards the glory of God on that day when Jesus returns. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we can come together and hear your word and reflect on it together. We pray that you would continue to work this word in us by the power of your Holy Spirit. So we reflect on it this the week to come, that you would use it to turn our hearts to you more and more each day. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon podcast from Resurrection Community Church. To learn more about our church and how you can connect with God and others, please visit resurrectionvb.org.